0: So as uh, Michael mentioned, we are in our second week of a series that we're calling, Are You Listening? And it's, you know, where it's kind of a, a double entendre there, are, is God listening to us, but also are we listening to him? And we're, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, which I think uh, a lot of you are probably familiar with if you grew up in church. Even if you didn't, the Lord's Prayer is probably the best known prayer Uh, in Western civilization, and so over these five weeks between now and and all the way up through Mother's Day, we're going to be taking a look at uh, all the different parts of the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus gave that to us, to us as his followers, as a pattern for prayer. It's okay to pray the Lord's Prayer and, and actually recite it word for word as long as it doesn't become some sort of a ritual or this magic incantation that you think if I say it exactly right, you know, then God is gonna in some mystical way give me exactly what I ask for because it's almost like a vending machine. You know, I put my coin in, push the right button and out comes the answer to the prayer that I want. But Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. And in in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. It's a pattern. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And last week we focused on the first phrase, the first verse of that prayer, our Father in heaven. And we said that God is our loving heavenly Father who is eager to give us his children Good gifts, because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he's a compassionate God, a kind God. He's a God who always keeps his promises. We as human beings don't always keep our promises. Sometimes we don't keep them because we never really intended to keep them. God always intends to keep the promises he makes. Sometimes we as human beings have difficulty keeping our promises because we're not able to. We may have fully intended, when we made the promise, we may have fully intended to keep it, but sometimes circumstances change, and we find that we're not able to keep the promise that we in, that we made. And yet God always keeps his promises because he's all-powerful. So when we come to our loving Heavenly Father, we can be 100% assured that he wants to listen to our prayers, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he fully intends to keep his promises, and that he always does because he's always able to keep his promises. And so we should never hesitate to come to him with our requests. So after last, uh, after last weekend, several people asked me the same question. I thought it was a really great, great question. So I thought, let's start out with that uh, this morning in our service today. And that question is, if God knows what we're going to pray before we pray, why should we bother to pray? If he knows what we're going to ask and, in fact, if he fully intends to give it to us, if it's a good thing that we would need and that he would wanna to give to us, why do we even have to bother asking him? Because he already knows, he already plans to give it to us, so why should we pray at all? And I think that's a great question, and, and, and part of the answer to that is because he's a good parent. A lot of you guys out there are parents, you've got children, you love your children, you fully intend to give them good things. And yet, from time to time, you wait to give them something that you absolutely want to give them. You wait to give it to them until they ask you for it. You want them to ask you for it, in part, to teach them. You want to teach them that the the world doesn't revolve around them, that they need to learn to be polite, that they need to ask for things, that they shouldn't expect or demand things. So you want to teach them to ask you for those sorts of things because not only in terms of your relationship with, with them, but also in terms of their relationship with other people when they get out into the world. They need to learn to ask for things because that's part of showing that we're dependent on our parents or on other people to have our needs met. And sometimes, sometimes we wait until they say please before we give them something. A few years ago, I, was, uh, I had to, to, to meet with a young mom, and so she said, Hey, would you be willing to come by my house? Uh, the babysitter's not available today. I got my twins. You know, could you come by around lunchtime? We'll eat lunch together while the twins are eating and, uh, you know, we can have our meeting. I said, sure. So I show up at the house and the two twins, they're about a year old. They're sitting in their high chairs next to each other And they are, I guess, technically speaking, they are feeding themselves. They were feeding themselves. They were feeding the floor. They were feeding one another. They were doing every sort of thing. And this mom is like, she's like an angel. She's the most patient mom in the world. So we're having our, you know, our discussion and the kids are having a great time. And then the young boy, it was a boy and a girl, young boy runs out of food. And of course, he's going to run out before his sister does, partly because more of his food is on the floor, more of his food is in his mouth, more of his food is in her hair and, you know, all those different things. So he runs out of food and he starts making this high-pitched noise that I had no clue what it was that he was trying to say. Mom absolutely did. Very calmly, she looks at him and says, say please. And he goes, ee! You know, And she looks at me, I look at like, what is this? And she says, that's all he can do in terms of saying please. So he says please, she gives him more food, he's really happy, and he goes about eating. About five minutes or so later, younger, uh, not younger, I don't know which one of the two, the twins were older, I guess one has to be older than the other. Anyway, the sister decides that she's finished with her food and she wants more, but she's a little bit of a goody two-shoes. So rather than squealing or anything, she just looks at mom, big smile on her face, says, ee! Like, I got it, I already know this whole please thing. Mom gives her food, you know, and everything is great. Point is, mom loved those kids. She fully intended to give her twins all the food that they needed. But she wanted to teach them to say please. She wanted to teach them to be polite. She wanted to teach them that they were dependent on her and they needed to show her respect, treat her with the respect that that she deserved as their mom. And that's good. And any good parent will do that with their children. And God is not just a good parent, He's a great parent. So, part of the reason why God sometimes waits to give us good things that He fully intends to give us is because He wants us to learn, in some sense, to say, please. He wants us to learn to depend on Him, to look to Him, not to demand or to expect, but to be grateful for the good things that he's given to us. So that's at least part of the reason uh, that God sometimes asks us to wait uh, until we ask him before he gives us good things. But I wanna dig just a little bit deeper into that question and into that answer. And in order to do so, we need to take a slight detour through the uh, Billboard magazine top 100 most popular songs uh, over the last 50 years or so. I read about this study that researchers did last year. And they looked at the Billboard magazine top 100 most popular songs from every year starting in the year 1960 and going all the way through the end of the year 2009. So that's 50 years of most popular songs. Easily a thousand different songs. And and they ran them through some fancy computer program, analyzed all the words and all the songs, and came up with the most popular themes the most repeated themes over those 50 years. And we've got on the screen about a half a dozen of those, and just just a few of them. Loss, nostalgia, breakup, rebellion, inspiration, desperation, and, and the list goes on. And they came up with about a dozen or so different themes. And what was fascinating about those themes is that almost every single one of those major themes throughout those songs are negative. Desperation, rebellion, a couple of ones I didn't put up there, jadedness and, and, and those different things. And in fact, it's really interesting to watch the change from decade to decade to decade as to what the most popular themes were. In the 1960s, and the early part of the 1970s, the major theme was rebellion. And if you lived through that period of time, you know that was what a lot of songs were written about. Fast forward to the 2000s, last decade. The major theme early in the decade was desperation. Why? 9-11, we're desperate, we're feeling vulnerable after 9-11. And so popular songs have popular themes. The themes of those songs are popular because they reflect what's going on in our society. And we resonate with them because They express what's going on in our hearts. Later on in the decade of the 2000s, songs became more and more about inspiration. But even inspiration is is, uh, set against the backdrop of desperation. We feel the need for inspiration because we feel, in some sense, a sense of desperation. So one of the most popular songs recently is Happy by Pharrell Williams. If you listen to the song, yes, it's about being happy, but it's also about I'm not gonna be dragged down. And so again, these themes over and over again is this feeling of need, of brokenness, of hurt, of pain, of desperation. All of us feel some amount of dissatisfaction in our lives. And the songs we appreciate so often reflect that And so do our prayers. So often, the reason that we pray is because we feel a sense of need. We feel a sense of hurt. We feel a sense of pain. We know that something's wrong. Our relationships are broken. Uh, Our bodies are failing. Our society isn't the way that we would want it to be. So we cry out to God and we ask him for some some amount of relief, we ask him to change our circumstances. We ask him to enable us to, to make it through the next day. and that's why we cry out to God so often and even those even those who don't believe in a personal God who might not actually think of themselves as praying. they still might appeal to a higher power if you've ever if you're familiar with some of the programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, people who are in those difficult situations, are taught to cry out to a higher power, recognizing that they, in and of themselves, don't have what it takes to deal with their addiction, to deal with their difficulties. So they cry out to a higher power, whether it's a personal God, like the God of the Bible, or whether it's just this impersonal force, like crying out to the universe. There is this universal phenomenon that when we're feeling this sense of need, we look for somebody to help us meet that need. And that is the foundation so often of why it is that we pray. And what's amazing to think about, what's actually so encouraging to think about is that our God, our Heavenly Father, the God who loves us and cares about us, whom we talked about last week, that God is just as dissatisfied with this world as you and I are in fact he's more dissatisfied with it than we are because he's the one who created it and he said this is the way that I want it to be and if you've ever read through the opening chapters of the Bible Genesis chapter one Genesis chapter two and you've seen what the Bible says about the way God created the world the paradise the Garden of Eden that he created for us and not only he did he create it for us he gave it to us for us to enjoy it was perfect. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with one another. The world was an incredible place to be, nothing wrong. God knows exactly the way that he intended it to be. And he looks at the world today and he says, that's not what I intended. I didn't want human beings to hurt one another. It was not part of my design that there be death, that there be disease, that there be pain, that there be strife, that there be racism. All the different things, all the injustices that bother us, bother God at least as much as they bother us because he's the one who created the world and that's not the way that he intended it to be. But the the thing that's even better than that is God isn't just sitting there saying, man, I wish it weren't that way. You know, what can we do about it? He's actually doing something about it. God is in the process of restoring his creation to the way that he intended it to be, and he gives us the opportunity to be part of it, to be part of that restoration process. And that's an incredible privilege that we have, and that's where the next verse of the Lord's Prayer comes in. Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling us to pray that earth be like heaven. And that's an amazing thought because heaven's a place where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there is no strife, where there is no pain, where there is no hatred, where everyone loves each other, loves God, is in perfect relationship with one another and with God. It's the way exactly the way that God intended it to be. It's a place of joy. It's a place of peace. It's a place where God's will is always done. It's a place where he is the king and the citizens of heaven are always following him perfectly. And Jesus is telling us, pray to our Father. May your kingdom come to this earth. May your will be done on this earth the way that it's done in heaven, and God is in the process of bringing that about. If you've ever read through the book of Revelation in the Bible, you know that there's all this really bizarre imagery. It's difficult to read through the book, and so a lot of people start, read the first two or three chapters, get confused close the Bible and go, or maybe go to a different passage in the Bible that's a little bit easier to understand. But one of the things that we miss if we don't read all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, we don't see the end of the story. The story that began in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 that we've been living out for millennia now. We don't get to see the end if we don't read all the way through to the end. And in Revelation chapter 21, the second to last Uh, chapter in the Bible, there's this incredible picture, this incredible vision that God has given the apostle John, who, by the way, was Jesus' best friend when he was on earth. God gave John a glimpse of the future, what it was going to be like in the future. And John writes, he says, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God gave John a glimpse of heaven on earth in the future. And God is in the process now of bringing that about. And he says, I would love for you to participate in what I'm doing. And Jesus says, that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so then the question becomes, Okay, that's what God says it is going to be like, but it is not like that now. So how do we get there from where we are here? And I think in order to do that, we've got to have a realistic understanding of some of the problems and some of the challenges that we're facing. And one of the key problems is summed up by one of my favorite writers, the, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Dave Barry. Dave Barry. He puts it this way. He says, the one thing that unites all human beings, regardless of age, gender, religion, economic status, or ethnic background, is that deep down inside, we all believe that we are above average drivers. Right. And that is the bottom line, right? <laughs> Actually it is, because you know what it it, it is? It is reflective of exactly what we think. I was talking to somebody after the service last night and they said, you know what? I went to a driving class recently and they asked us, they took a little poll, how many of you think that you're above average drivers? Everybody voted themselves to be at least average, if not above average or excellent. Why is that? Because all the rest of you are jerks when I'm driving on the road, right? (laughs) It's my road, so get out of my way. If we are in an accident, it is by definition your fault. If you cut me off, well, that's clearly your fault. If I cut you off, well, it's because you sped up when I was trying to pass you. Whatever it is, right? So we all view ourselves as better than other people. We don't like to see ourselves as part of the problem. And that is part of the problem. Because no matter how highly I think of myself, I am so far from perfect. I am so far from living the way that God wants me to live. Even when I do good things, my motives are not always pure. They are so often selfish, why? Because the world revolves around me. That's the way that we all view ourselves so often. But if God's kingdom is going to come, if God's will is gonna be done, on earth as it is in heaven, I need to see myself as part of the problem. I want my life to be comfortable, so I want to be in control. I want things to be the way that I want them to be, and so I want to do things my way. And I have great difficulty doing things anybody else's way. And so that's part of the challenge that I have. Part of the problem though, is I don't always do a very good job of it. I mean, God says, you know what? I created you. I made you to be the way that you are. I want you to live a certain way. I want you to look to me. I want you to trust me. But so often I say to God, "Mm, I got this. I don't really need you in this situation. God says, fine, let me know how that one works out for you. You know, it doesn't always work out the way that I want it to work out. God is the only one who is really qualified to run this world. God is the only one who is really qualified to show me how to live my life. And that's why Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I'm not always comfortable with the idea that I need to look to him to to, to lead me to guide me, that I should be following after him, because I've never had a perfect human leader in my life. I've never had a perfect human boss. I've never had a perfect human relationship. In just about every relationship that I've had, people have tried to control me. People have tried to manipulate me. Yes, there have been people who have looked out for my best interest, but they haven't done so perfectly. And and, and quick aside, I've never done it perfectly with anybody else either. And so all of the human examples that we have of leadership, of guidance, etc., all of those human examples are flawed in one way or another. And so often we project that on God and so we're hesitant to trust Him. We're hesitant to surrender to Him. We're hesitant to submit to Him because we're worried that we might not like the outcome. And yet, The God who says, I'm the King, I'm the Creator, I'm the Lord of the universe, is also our Heavenly Father. He's our Father who loves us, who sacrificed that which was most precious to Him in order to restore our broken relationship with Him. The God who gives us everything that we need. The God who always has our best interest in heart at in his heart the god who never fails to keep his promises and he's the one who's saying trust me follow me let me lead you because your life will be better off if you do things my way rather than trying to, to do things your way and, and if we really understood how good God is, how competent God is, how caring he is, how compassionate he is, we wouldn't have any difficulty trusting him, following him, submitting to him, surrendering to him, and saying, yeah, you are my king. Yes, you are my Lord. Yes, you are are my God, and I want to follow after you. Your will be done in my life, just as it is in heaven. Good parents, good parents know that their kids, if left to themselves, are not always going to go the right way. Good parents try to shape their children's desires. If left to themselves, kids, at least me when I was a kid, would eat sugar for every meal. No vegetables, just sugar, you know, no, no, good, no good fruits just sugar. Actually, in my family, if left to dad, if left to me, my kids would eat just sugar. That's why I'm grateful that I'm married to Ann because the kids are older now and, and, the, and they've learned. My kids, if left to themselves, would have watched too much TV, played too many video games, spent too much time on the internet and not reading books. So what do we do when they're young? We try to shape their desires because we know that that's the best thing for them is to shape their desires, to move them in a direction that we know is best for them and as a great parent god is in the business of shaping our desires so often we think that prayer is about getting god to do our will actually prayer is about getting us to do god's will our goal ought not to be to change god's heart his heart's great our goal ought to be to ask him to change our hearts, to change our desires, so that we will desire what He desires. Yes, sometimes we already do that. Sometimes when someone's hurting, we feel compassion, we feel care, we, our, our hearts are drawn to them, and that's great. We see injustice in the world, and our heart is drawn to that, and we're angry at that. So is God. But so often our desires are selfish and self-centered, and we need God to shape those desires. And so when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, shape my desires. Give me the desire to do what is right, because that's not always the case in my life. So if I want what's best for me, if I want earth to be like heaven, then what I will want is for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that begins in my heart with my desires. There's this pretty amazing passage uh, towards the end of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, it's always, every time I read it, I'm really blown away by it because I never, ever would have expected to read this in the Bible. The scene is Thursday night, the night before Jesus was crucified. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying And he's thinking about the next day. He knows that full well the next day he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. And that from noon until 3 o'clock, his father, his heavenly father, with whom he has had for all of eternity a perfect, unbroken relationship, he knows that there's going to be a period of time when his father is going to turn his back on him and desert him for a period of about three hours. And Jesus doesn't want to go through with that. So he prays and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to do what I know is gonna happen tomorrow. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is perfect, he's not like me. And yet, he desired not to go to the cross. And he prayed, Father, align my will with your will. Give me your desires so that I can do what is pleasing to you, what is the best thing to do. And I am so grateful that he did that because when Jesus chose to submit his will to his Father's will, that was such a key part of God's Cosmic rescue plan to save me, to save us from the plight that we had caused ourselves. When Jesus died on the cross, He was paying for your sin, He's paying for my sin. When He rose again, it gave us new life. And if Jesus had not been willing to do that, then this dream of heaven coming to earth, all it would be is a dream. It would never become a reality but because Jesus was willing to submit his will to his father's will, then God's kingdom is going to come to earth and we're going to get to spend with him eternity in a place where there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's perfect love, there's peace, and there's joy if we're looking to him and if we're trusting in him. When you came in this morning, Mike, as Michael mentioned, uh, you received a little uh, little card on the front side, it's got Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Back side of the card has just a little sentence, a, a way to encourage you to pray this week. It says, pray in light of God's priorities, asking Him to align your desires with Him, with His. Ask God to align your desires with His. As Michael said, take that card, stick it on the dashboard of your car, on your bathroom mirror, in your purse, in your pocket, in your wallet. Somewhere where you're going to see it day day to day to day. I've got mine right on my desk, right underneath my computer monitor. So whenever I sit down, I see that there and it reminds me to pray. And my encouragement to you is to ask God on a day-by-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, to align your desires with His and to begin that process. In a minute or so, the band is going to come on back up and while they're coming up, I want us to just take a minute or so and pray silently, each of us just between ourselves and God and ask God to show you where the desires of your heart don't actually completely line up with His. Where are your desires in conflict with His desires? And then ask Him to change your desires, to shape your desires, to give you the same kind of heart that He has for those who are hurting, for those who are needy, for those who are lost, for those who are suffering. Ask him to give you pure motives in your relationships with people. Ask him to give you a desire to be a blessing to the people who are around you. Just ask him to make his kingdom a reality on this earth and starting with your heart and starting with my heart. So let's just take a minute or so, pray silently, and then the band is gonna lead us in a song.